0: Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Uh, Do you realize that Christmas is the most stressful time of year? Do you realize that 90% of Americans say that they are the most stressed during Christmas? You, You realize that all that causes a lot of insomnia, that people can't sleep at night, you know? And what do we do about that? You... $14 $14 billion a year is what we spend on insomnia as a result of all this. $14 billion every single year. Our solution a lot of times is to medicate, isn't it? Like, how about a little bit of Ambien with that eggnog, right? Just to kind of get you right on to sleep. <clears throat> I was in my office about this time last year. And it was a Saturday night, 7, 8 o'clock. I was writing some notes. The entire building was empty where I was, and every light was out except for the light in my office. I heard these steps coming down the hallway. I didn't pay attention to it. They passed by my office, and then they came back. sounded kind of strange, like the heel was dragging on the steps. Anyway... All of a sudden, this 30-year-old woman walks into my office. I'd never seen her before. She was, you know, dressed nicely, and boom, she walks in, and I look up, and she doesn't say anything to me, and I don't know what to say to her. She goes over to my couch. I have this coffee table. It's on wheels from my couch, and I say, can I help you? And she says, I don't think so. And she sits down and kicks my coffee table out of the way, puts her head down on my couch, sound asleep, snoring and everything, just, just gone, I I took my phone out of my pocket. I didn't know what to do. I, I, what am I doing with the dumb phone? I'm like, who do I call? And I went into the hallway and I'm just standing there with the dumb phone. Like, what do I do? This person's sleeping. She's sound asleep. Two minutes later, she stands up and she walks out of my view. I walk into the office just to peek around the corner, and here she comes right at me, like you know, like a battleship. and I just wow well, the way and she bows by me and she goes out in the hallway. And down the hall, I just stood there for a minute, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I was dumbfounded, you know, what is she, on drugs, what's up, you know? And anyway, a few minutes, uh, like, like 30 seconds later, I decided. well, let me just see where she is in the building, you know, what in the world's happening. And so she had left the building, but she had dropped something. She had dropped a toiletry bag with her toothbrush and toothpaste in it. And finally it dawned on me, she was sleepwalking. She had probably taken some Ambien, took it before she laid down in bed, and now she's up roaming the city. And uh, I hope she got home okay. So the biblical solution, the biblical solution, everybody, to stress, right? How do we find rest? The biblical solution, where does the story of Christmas begin? And the first gift, which today we're talking about rest is, where does all this begin? It begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's right, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Absolutely amazing. Now, let's be honest for a second. When you've read the Christmas story out of the Gospel of Matthew, do you ever just like skip the first 17 verses and just start with verse number? and say, you know, there's nothing here for me. The Acevedo family is going to come and read us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And as they come, I want to remind you of something very, very important. Before you get to the Christmas tree, before you get to the Christmas tree, you have to start with Jesus' family tree. That's how the gospel story begins. Please, Acevedo family.
1: A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rabon. Rabon, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeram, Jerom, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shelatel. Shelatel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiyad, Abiab the father of Elikim, Elikim the father of Azar, Azar the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elud, Elud the father of Elazar, Elazar the father of Matham, Matham, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to exile in Babylon, and 14 from exile to the Christ.
0: Riveting reading, riveting. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Tatiana. All right, thank you. We'll put the gift right here, the gift of rest. Gonna hang a cross on the tree. Thank you. There was, doesn't that that's put you in the Christmas mood? Huh? Isn't that awesome? Thank you very much. That was great. So there you go. That's how the Christmas story begins in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, why don't we pause for a second and say a <laughs> prayer and ask God to help us with this reading. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we just ask that God, you give us understanding. Why? why? Why in the world does the Christmas story in the book of Matthew begin with a genealogy? In Christ's name, amen. All right, here you go. A person's genealogy back in the day when this was written, okay, a person's genealogy was their resume. So if somebody was applying for a job, they presented their genealogy. That's how, so you want to present a good resume, right? I'm sure we have phenomenal resume writers in this room. There's Jesus' resume. There it is. For all of us to behold, that's how he is going to get a job. That's how he's going to get, just like you're going to get a job or get an interview or you send your resume for somebody to look over, here he is. He's sending it to us. And at the end of all this, the question will be, will you hire Jesus? There's the question. That's what we're going to end up with. Revelation 3.20, Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. He's looking for a job. He's looking for a job from us. And the question will be, is would you hire Jesus? Because what he's offering is rest, spiritual rest, which is the greatest rest of all. Matthew says, if you'll start with spiritual rest, everything else flows from there. Seek first the kingdom of God. Of God, Washingtonian magazine has recently done a pl- thing on the great places to work. Anybody seen the recent Washingtonian magazine? Has some tips. If any of you are interested in writing your resume, got a couple tips in here for resume writers. You want to do up your resume, make it a little nice. A uh, couple months ago, we went through that series in September and October, and I don't know the just. To hit me throughout that very difficult series. You know what, John? You might want to get your resume out and dust that thing off just in case there's a problem after that series we did. If you haven't heard the series, you should go back and listen to it. Then all of a sudden, you'll, it all makes sense. They told some good stories in here, you know, about great places to work that offer you all kinds of phenomenal things, and they also offered you some terrible places to work and incredible stories of bosses who make people stand in the corner and things like that. Things I'm thinking about adapting in my own staff meeting, actually. It sounds pretty cool. But let's get back to the resume situation for a second. So I, I, what I did is I look at some tips. Since we're talking about Jesus' resume, let's talk about what, what, what do you want to put in your resume. What, so let's have some good tips here just in case you might need them. So here's what I read. That's just, you know, broad brush. Focus on the positive. So professional resume consultants tell you, when you're putting your resume, you should always focus on the positive. And you should secondly, steer away from anything controversial, Like, If anything's even potentially controversial, just, mm, just don't... Include that. Don't put that on your resume. And then don't tell everything. Third and, third and final point: don't. Tell, you don't have to air all of your dirty laundry. Just don't tell anything. And then little tips like this: your GPA. Unless your GPA is a 3.5 or above, don't even mention it. You don't even know what a GPA is. You understand? I said. And unless a 3.5, don't tell everybody where you finished in your class. You know. I mean, if you say, I finished, you know, like eighth in my, like one person wrote in their resume, I finished eighth in a class of 10, woohoo, you know, that was not a good thing to share, you know, so you want to be careful. Unless you finish first, second, or third in a class of a 100 or hundreds, okay, but other than that... And then personal hobbies and things like that. Anything embarrassing that could be misconstrued in any way that could have negative. Like one person said, you know, I love to give blood. That's my thing, and I, well, we appreciate that. We appreciate it. But they said, you know, fourteen gallons so far. People might read that and say, ooh. And so you nothing to cast a shadow. Look, we're Washingtonians. We are professionals at this. Distance yourself from anything, right? We're very political. Anything that could be wrong, distance yourself. So what does Jesus Christ do in his resume to us? Does he distance himself, as a good Washingtonian should do? You know, don't go down with the person who's going down, right? Cut your law. So what does he do? Does he distance himself? We just went through Thanksgiving, and some of you went to large family gatherings. And just have a question. Do not raise your hand, particularly if your family is here with you. But, um, you know, did you look around that table and think, oh, my goodness, there's some people around this table, my family tree, that I'm a little bit embarrassed of. You know what I'm saying? The people that, you know, whatever, they got issues going on, or they're, maybe they're just plain crazy, right? Anybody have any crazy people in your family? Right. And you're like, oh, oh, thank you for the hand. Uh, <laughs> you know, so you might, you might, oh, man, I'm not... Jesus Christ does the exact opposite when he presents us his family tree, his resume. Instead of not including, he includes them all. It was common, as it is today, as it is today that you would cut things out of your resume that you don't want people to know about, right? You'd cut them out you know you went to two different colleges but the first college you flunked out of and so you just don't even mention that right we just we forget the first college right you just talk about the second college in which you did fine with well people did that back then too and so it meant purging names Herod the Great purged all kinds of people out of his resume that he was embarrassed of. All right, so let's get into this. I guess there's two things I want to tell you about uh, Jesus Christ and his resume. The first one is this. Jesus' resume is a record. It's a record. It's a serious record. In other words, the Christmas story doesn't start out sweet. You should think, oh my goodness, sweet baby Jesus, right? This should start out very, very sweet. But in Matthew, it starts out very, very serious. And my question is, why? Why does it start so serious? Legends today, or myths, or stories that we read, they have a certain sentiment to it. It's like a once upon a time thing. Well, back then it was the same deal. They had a certain sentiment when they started. And this doesn't start with that sentiment. It starts off with, this is the genealogy. It's a record. This Matthew's right. He's the tax man. He's the facts man. He's giving us the facts. He starts out very, very serious. It doesn't start out like a myth. Some people say, oh man, it's just a story. Well, if it is just a story, they should have started it like a story, right? They didn't start it like a story. It starts out like, here is fact. Let me tell you the fact. That's the first thing that strikes me about this whole thing. Verse one this is the genealogy of Jesus. Then notice what it says the Messiah. He is the Messiah. The second thing that strikes me about it is it goes way back. He's the son of David and the son of Abraham. Like, this thing, this genealogy, It kind of rolls out to be a plan, a plan for all of our lives, right? God says, i got a plan for you. And he's saying, I didn't come up with this plan yesterday. Like, yesterday I wasn't sitting around and saying, hey, I've got a plan for so-and-so in life. God has this thing that goes way back, a plan for your life. And one of the things that gets me so much is when I'm going through a tough time, stress, we're talking about stress, which I'm always stressed. You know, I wonder as I'm praying, is God hearing me? Or am I just in this thing all alone, you know? Is there a plan in place? Because if there's a plan in place, I can I can just rest a little bit. And I think the deal is, is that we get from this, is that God is saying, yep, there's a plan in place. I have a plan in place for you. Some of you are going through some really tough times. You're thinking, man, is there a plan? And what God is saying through this genealogy, through this resume, is, yes, yeah, there is a plan in place for you. I know you. I know you by names. We've got all these names in here. God is saying, I know your name too. It might not be T L or Zerubbabel or whatever, but God knows your name, and he has a plan For you. That is the message here. It is a record. Second thing I want you to know is this, is that Jesus's resume is complete. No holes. Remember how I said a second ago that, you know, you would purge some things out of your resume because you don't want anybody to know that your GPA was 1.9, right? Not that any of you had a 1.9 GPA, but for other people who live in other parts of the country who had a 1.9, right? He didn't purge that stuff. All the stuff that he shouldn't have included, he included in his resume. There's no holes, there's no gaps, there's nothing in there. Now he starts off really awesome in his resume. Like, you're just so encouraged as you read the opening lines of his resume. He talks about King David. You put King David on your resume. All right, that's like, whoa. And then you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. So if you're in the HR department and this resume rolls across your desk, you're like stamping that thing, man, with stars, checkpoints. Hire this guy immediately. He's going right to the top. I can see him sitting on the throne. That's what what you say when you see this resume. But then we have a problem. We have a big problem. We get to verse number three. Can we read verse number three? Look what it says. It says, Judah, the father of Perez. Remember, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of... Judah. He's the lion of the tribe. Judah, who's the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother is Tamar. Let's stop right there. I need you to know this. Some people think, uh, ah, you know, the Bible and Christianity is not really about, you know, women and kind of puts women down and stuff like this. Oh, wait. Time out, everybody. Time. You don't put a woman in your genealogy. That's not a Bible thing. That's just a historical thing. You just didn't do it. So when Jesus in the Bible puts a woman's name in there, yeah, all the lights, I mean, it's just setting off shockwaves. Like, what? What is this all about? See, the Bible has this super high view of women. Some people think, oh, it has a low view. But that's actually not true. That's not historically, contextually true. It has a super high view of woman. And so he mentions a woman, which you would never do. He mentions a woman in his resume. And you would think that if Jesus is going to mention a woman, in his re- he would mention the matriarchs, right? He would mention Sarah, and Rebecca, and Leah, and Rachel. For some reason, he doesn't do that. He mentions women like Tamar, who was not Jewish. So she's not the right race. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? And so what's her story? And why does she Well, well, Matthew's going out of his way to get us a point across to us, a very important point. And what is that point? So Judah had a son. His name was Onan. And his second son was Er, E-R. What a name, Er. Gonna what are you going to call him? I'm going to call my kid Er. Okay? Er, come here. So, so, so listen to this. The oldest boy, Onan, right, uh, Judah marries him off to Tamar. She's Canaanite. Wrong race, right? Canaanite. Should have married a good Jewish girl. Doesn't. In Jesus' family tree. And so they get married. <laughs> Ready for this? The Bible says this in Genesis 38, Onan was so wicked, God killed him. Like, that's one jerk of a husband. If you're sitting next to your husband right now, and you just want to say, hey, don't be a jerk. God might, watch out. God might get you, okay? So one woman in the first service, she immediately leaned over and said, I could see what she said. So, kills him. Now, they had a law back then, and the law was this. Here it here was. If a brother died like an older brother died they didn't have any kids yet then you married it's weird but you would marry the next brother down right you get next step down why why was that like a law because kids were everything back then there's a lot of reasons why kids are everything but can i give you one reason why kids were one just one reason okay 401k program 401 they were your 401k they were your retirement program that was it that's how you had retirement there's no other retirement you had kids they served as your retirement. And so it was a big deal to have kids. Really so you marry the next one down. Now Ur, also very wicked, God kills him too. Now here's then what happened. So God has now killed two and he's got another one. And so Judah, his son says, hey, look, Tamar, <laughs> you've killed two of my boys. So uh, let me get my other son, to get a little more life. Let him live a little bit. And then you can, you know, marry him and, you know, have some kids. And then it was obvious that Judah wasn't going to do this. He was just not going to. And so you know what Tamar does? Tamar dresses up as a prostitute on the side of the road and fools her father-in-law, Judah, and he solicits, and uh, they get together, and she gets pregnant, and the way he pays her is he like, long story short, he gives her like his driver's license, like his personal ID, okay? And so, uh, you know, a few months go by, and people say, hey, you know, Judah, Tamar is pregnant, and so he says, oh my gosh, drag her out and burn her, Mr. Righteousness. Says, drag her out and burn her. And so they're dragging her out, getting ready to burn her. And so they got, you know, they got the lighter fluid and they got it all right there, ready to go. And she says, hey, take this driver's license and could you, before you burn me, could you hand it to Judah, my father-in-law and Sam, the baby's father, here it is. Here's his driver's license. He sees it, it's his, and he's like, oh my gosh. And there she is, Tamar. Now, would you put that on your resume? I just, just a question. Would you put that on your resume? I'm not... So after that one, uh, Jesus continues on in his resume. Verse number four is fine. And then we have a problem again when we get to verse number five because it mentions Rahab. So verse number five says this, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, this is, a, this is another problem. Rahab lived in Jericho and she ran a brothel. Okay, why would Jesus put this? He didn't have to name any of the women. Why would he name? And she, she, runs, she runs this brothel, right? And then, and then it goes on to say after, after this, it says, So Salmon, the father of Boaz, his mother was uh, Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Do you realize where the Moabites came from? Do you realize that Moabites, God says, don't even bring a Moabite to church? Like, don't bring them to church. Moabites were a race of people that happened after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, and Lot's wife turns into a pillar of salt, and Lot and his two daughters go live in a cave, and there was an incestuous situation there. And there's the Moabite people, and God says, "Don't even bring the Moabites to church." That's the deal. And there's Ruth, and Ruth has her own set of issues that she that she deals with. And now, now we come to verse number six and it says in Jesse the father of King David David was the father of Salmon whose mother Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife why don't we name Bathsheba obviously we're not naming her because we're not because we're not embarrassed of her i mean my gosh after all that we have just said could we be embarrassed about anything no this is actually a very big slam against King David the greatest king of all of Israel See, David, when he was living out in the wilderness and God had anointed him to be king and King Saul was so jealous, so incredibly jealous, incredibly jealous of David and was tracking him like a dog. And David says that. He talks about, oh, man, you've come out here to get a dog. And so he's, oh, he just feels terrible when he's tracking him. He had these guys, like these guys, these high honor guys, these military guys. He called them his mighty men. David's 30 mighty men. And you know one of his mighty men's name? There was like his best friends, like his bodyguards who would give their lives, give their lives for King David. And one of them's name was Uriah. Uriah was one of his best friends. You know what it is? How do you feel when somebody does way above and beyond for you? Like somebody goes way above and beyond and gives you whatever. Aren't you like feeling in debt? Like I'll do anything for you. You pulled me out of a pit. Well, Uriah pulled David out of a pit like all the time. Well, one day when everybody's off at war and David decides his king to stay at home, he sees Uriah's wife. And so he takes her. She gets pregnant. And he's got to do something to cover it up. So what's he do? He kills one of his best friends. What's amazing as you read through Jesus' family tree it is an absolute mess. Why would he include that? It's in genealogy. Why would he include that in his genealogy? Is absolutely Amazing. Well, let's read. Let's go all the way to the end now. And there's all kinds of stuff. Men, women, problems, mess. It's equally, I just highlighted a couple of the women because it's so strange that you'd have a woman in there, but the men are even far worse that are in there. It's an absolute mess all over the place. And then you get to verse number 17 where the whole thing ends off. And can we just read that verse? Here's the verse that brings the whole thing together. It's just absolutely amazing. It's going to be stunning. You'll be on the edge of your seat. Here it is. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Messiah. Does that just not grab you right around the throat and just say, ah, this all makes sense now. It is so awesome, right? 14, 14, 14. What is that? That's more, that's more stress. That's math. That's math. Now we have math, right? So 14, 14, 14 is... 42, thank you very much. We have a math person somewhere around here. 42, so the answer is 42. The answer to rest, to spiritual rest, is 42. <laughs> Leviticus 25 tells us this. Ready for this? It says, after the seventh seven will be a year of jubilee. After the seventh seven, 49 years into this, every 50 years, we have a year of jubilee. What happens in the year of jubilee? In the year of jubilee, anybody who's in debt, any debt, right? I will not ask you to raise your hands on this one, but do you know the feeling of debt? Debt is a terrible feeling. I've been there in my life. It's a terrible feeling, and I can tell you it feels phenomenal to get out of it. Anybody who's in any debt, all debts are wiped out in the year of jubilee. Anybody who's become a slave. There's lots of reasons why people became slaves back then. Some people had parents who sold them into slavery. Some people sold themselves into slavery because they didn't have money. Whatever reason, they became a slave. In the year of Jubilee, all slaves go free. All debt is paid off. And the land, the land that you farmed, you wouldn't farm. It says even the land gets to rest. Everything gets to rest in the year of Jubilee. Jesus Christ is the seventh seven. Right? 14, 14, 14, Jesus 7, 7. Everybody gets to rest. Everybody gets to cease striving to get themselves to seek. right? I'm seeking God's approval by being a good person. We say this all the time. This is so common in our world today. Oh, you know, but that person's a good person. It's a whole theology and a doctrine that if I'm just a good person, I get to be, I get to be approved of by God. And so God says, here's all these people, right? And some of them are really good and some of them are really bad. And they've all experienced the same thing rest they've all found approval in me because I am the rest giver. That's what God is saying. So if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I've tried all my life to seek approval. I've sought it from God. I've sought it. I've, I've, I've sought it from my dad. I've sought it from you know, my mom or my grandparents or my boss or whatever. God is saying not based on wh- what you do. Isn't that amazing? Not based on what you do. Just because it's a gift, just because it's a gift, God gives us rest. And this is the message of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Look what it says in Leviticus 25.10. It says, here's the jubilee. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of his inhabitants. Now you think to yourself, okay, John, that's awesome, the gift of rest. Who wouldn't want to receive that? Sign me up today. I'll take the gift of rest. Anything I do for that? Here's two very common reasons, everybody, of why we would say, No, thank you for the gift of rest. And they're all contained right here in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You look at there in verse number one, it stands right out to us. It says this, this is the genealogy of the Messiah. Notice what that says. Here's the first common reason why I say, I'll skip on that rest. It says, this is the genealogy of the Messiah. This doesn't say this is the genealogy of one of the Messiahs. This isn't the genealogy of one way. Right to go. There are many doors. Here, I am Jesus and I am door number five. There are ten doors before you. Choose one, I'm five if you'd like me. It says he is it. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Jesus, I am, I am, I am the rest. I will give you rest. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Only Jesus Christ is giving rest. He is the only rest giver that we find in Scripture. He alone. Now, there's a group of people here today, right? I would, here's what I find. We're broken down in two different ways. And there's a group of people in this room when we talk about Jesus Christ being the only way, and we say, oh, man, you can't say that enough, John. That, that makes me feel awesome. And there's a group of people in this room today. It's like, it, that's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Could you just not say that again about Jesus Christ being the only way? And it's upsetting. You either love it or you hate it. You either love it or you hate it. He says, he is the only way. We can only find rest when we realize that it is only through Jesus Christ. It's not through me being good. It's not through some other way. It's not through some other philosophy. It's not something I do. It's me saying I accept the fact that Jesus Christ lived the life I could not live, and he is the Savior, and he's the only rest giver, and there's where rest begins. There's point number one. Here's point number two. And this is going to upset the whole. So so a second ago, we upset people over here, very upset about Jesus being the only way, and these people are very happy. Now, these people over here are going to get very upset, and these people are going to get very happy. So look what the genealogy says to us. It says everybody is equal. Everybody's equal in this genealogy. Prostitute, priest, king, all of them, all experience equal rest. None of them deserve it. They all just get it. It's a free gift. There's total equality. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you're doing. It's all about Jesus. It's all about grace. It's all about forgiveness. It is a gift. And all I have to do, what do you mean I have to do? All I got to do is I have to believe it, receive it. That's all I have to do. I can't earn it that upsets people over here, and it makes people over here happy. And so we all have something to be upset about in this genealogy of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Look, you know, what I did, when I was studying this genealogy the past couple weeks, and then this past week what I did, you know, you can just listen to the Bible on your phones, you these little apps. And you, so I listened to the entire book of Matthew, and I realized for the first time in my life, now I, I'm just starting to understand everything in the gospel of Matthew because I understood started to understand the genealogy of Jesus. All the parables begin to make sense. All the sayings, all the beatitudes begin to make sense. Matthew 5.3, Jesus begins the most famous sermon, his most famous sermon ever, called the Sermon on the Mount. Longest recorded sermon we have of Jesus Christ. Here's how he begins. Matthew 5.3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? Kingdom of heaven. Who gets to walk through those gates? Who gets to cross over that threshold? Who gets to go into heaven? Who are the saved people? Poor and spirit people. Who are poor and spirit people? People who are spiritually bankrupt. People who are spiritual failures. Failures. That's who get to. It. Like if you feel like you're spiritually rich or you're spiritually successful, yours is not the kingdom of heaven. Really? Oh, well, that's strange. All the failures get in. All the bankrupt spiritually people get in. That's what it says. I was feeling good over here when it was Jesus Christ is the only way, but when you're telling me I got to feel like a spiritual failure just like everybody else and I don't have any spiritual riches, that begins to bother me a little bit. But this is what it says here. Everybody sits at the table together. Now, I told you how the, the parables begin to make sense. So there's a parable towards the end of Matthew about the workers working out in the field. It's this landowner who's really rich. He's got this, he says, yeah, I got all this work that I, I need to get done. So he goes out and he gets these laborers. He says, I'm going to pay you this amount of money. Right, pay this amount of money. Come in and work. So they come in at the beginning of the day, crack of dawn. They're working, hot, heat out in the desert. They're just sweating. Halfway through the day, the landowner goes out. He says, "I need to get some more workers, and he come, and he, I'm going to pay you the same thing." Well, the guy's starting at the beginning of the day a little bit ticked off about that. All right. But that ain't nothing. Wait till you see what happens next. It gets near closing time. We're late afternoon. He goes out, gets some more says, I'm going to pay you. And then he has the audacity. The landowner has the audacity at the end of the day. There's like two minutes left on the clock. He goes out and gets more workers. says, I'm going to pay the same thing. Like these guys didn't even get through HR yet. They're, they're still filling paperwork out. They're still filling their W-2 forms out. They didn't even lift a shovel. They haven't got a Nothing. They haven't sweat one bit. And the landowner says, you get full pay. Well, who, you think, who do you think freaks out? The people who've been there all day long, the spiritually rich people. Like, no way. And God says, hey, it's my money. I'll do with it what I want to do with it. Is that okay? It's kind of like the year of Jubilee. Remember I told you it's 50 years, right, it's 50 years? How about the person who for 49 years, 11 months, and 31 days, right? they're just racking up, racking up debt, and all of a sudden, boom, you're a Jubilee. And what if you're a person who hasn't been racking up debt? How does that feel? What if you're a person, and you don't drink, and you don't smoke, and you don't gamble, and you don't cuss, and you're very very honest and you live a good life and when you got married you were a virgin and you pray and you go to church every sunday and you tithe and you serve and you're miserable your health is suffering you're broke doesn't seem like god's answering any of your prayers and you've noticed you've sat in this auditorium and you've noticed that there's a guy that comes in here and he's here about once every three months and when he is here he's hung over And you see him out in the lobby, he's cussing like crazy, talking about gambling, talking about going to Vegas all the time, doing all kinds of stuff like that. And he's happy and he's wealthy, right? He's got girls hanging all over his arm. And you're like, what is the deal? Shouldn't everything I've done, shouldn't it have accounted for something? And the deal is no. I've played basketball almost all my life. And I'm going to tell you about some people I see on the basketball court, very irritating people. Uh, there's, there's always one who always is screaming for the basketball. And I've noticed in some cases, though very rare, in some cases the person always screaming obnoxiously for the ball, like the moment, like the ball is not even to your hand yet. I'm over here, I'm open, throw me the ball. You know, they're screaming, they want the ball. There's one thing if they can put the ball in the hoop, like if they're a scorer, like, okay, I'll overlook your obnoxiousness. But if they can't score, I mean, you, you want to just kill them. You just want to, in a nice, Christian, pastoral way, <laughs> get off the court, please, because I'm going to kill you if you don't get off the court. You don't know this, but every single one of us are basketball players. I've said this many times, and I thoroughly believe it. Everything you want to know about life and spirituality can be learned on a basketball court. All of you guys are basketball players. And not one of you can score a point. You need to get your brains wrapped around that, just like I need to get my brain wrapped around that. This is a very important spiritual truth. You're running around on the court, and you think you can score, and you can't because you're just like me. We can't score any points, no points. And some of us are yelling and screaming, pass me the ball, look at me, pass, and you're working so hard, and you're sweating, and you're and you're thinking, man, I'm scoring points, and every every... Every shot you put up is clanking right off the rim. You can't score. And the only thing left for you to do is to shut up and sit down on the bench and cheer the only person on who can score any points, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that you and I are left to do. Everything else is gravy for us. And there's no look at anybody else. It's only Jesus Christ who can score. Do you realize, can you accept the fact that you are spiritually bankrupt? According to studies, half the people who are followers of Jesus Christ will admit to this fact that they're spiritually stagnant. You know what the answer is to your spiritual stagnation? Spiritual bankruptcy. You know what the answer is to salvation? I'm saved. It's saying, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I'm incapable of scoring any points. Whether I start work at the beginning of the day or I start work when the sun is going down and they're blowing the whistle saying, it's time to go home, everybody. I am as undeserving of the gift of salvation as anybody else. Jesus' genealogy tells us this. The field has been leveled. Prostitute, priest, and king, they all sit down at the same table together, at the same level together. That's where we find rest. That's where we find rest. And a God who treats us that way. Isn't that absolutely amazing? I, wanna, I just want to end with this. I actually want to end with another parable from Matthew. The parable of the four soils. And here's why I want to tell you why it's so important. Here's what God tells us. The four soils are four reactions. And there's not a person in this room who is not reacting in one of these ways right now. You're reacting in one of these ways to the message of Jesus' genealogy and to his offer of rest. In one of these four ways. First way is this: the hard-packed soil, like the path. The soil that's been on the path has been tried. It's really hard, and it can't sink in. And some of us are just your reaction is it's like really hard. It's like okay, <laughs> it is 11:57, buddy. You got three minutes. Are you gonna shut up and let me get out of here? I just want to go. That's the hard-packed soil. And some of us are reacting that way. We're ready to go. Second way of reaction is the shallow soil. And Jesus says the shallow soil is a very emotional soil. It's like year of Jubilee. Woo. Yeah. You know, every, all the debts are wiped out. I'm going to the shopping mall. As soon as this thing is over, I'm just going to rack up, you know, J U B. We're just excited. Jubilee. Awesome. Tomorrow you'll forget about all this, but it doesn't matter right now. You feel great about the debts are all gone and Jesus Christ. And it's your year of Jubilee. That's reaction. Number two, reaction. Number three, is the thorny soil. And Jesus says, the thorny soil is really busy soil. Like, really busy. You got a lot of stuff. Like right now, you can't turn it off. You got so much to do at work. You got so much to do at home. And your mind is just rolling. It's like, hey, man, he told me 65 minutes. And man, you better be done in 65 minutes because I got to roll out of here. Fourth and final reaction. And some of you are in this boat right now. And this is really important. And this last piece is really all about you. Because this last piece, everybody, is a miracle. And I've seen this miracle happen in great church services where great music and messages are preached. And I've seen this miracle happen in pretty lousy church services. There's no rhyme or reason to this, what I'm getting ready to tell you. For some of you, God showed up to you right here for some reason right now. And your heart is bursting. And your mind is racing. And you finally realize that that God loves you just like you are. That you don't have to do anything to get his approval. All you have to do is receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't believe that after years of trying to be good enough, that God says you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to say, oh God, I promise never to mess up again. That God says, hey, it's, it's okay. I don't want you to mess up, but if you do, I still love you just the same. I love you. I embrace you. You know what's so awesome about the genealogy? Jesus Christ, you would think... Then he was like, oh, do I have to mention these people in this? Do I get it? That's not his attitude at all. His attitude is, I am loud and I am proud of the people in my genealogy. I am loud and proud of it. I'm not denying it. I'm not turning my head away. I'm like, it's a mess. I know it. I love them. I love them and I'll never stop loving them. For some of us here right now, our hearts are bursting and our minds are racing. I have a word for you after many years of ministry, don't walk away from this moment. And here's the reason why. You don't know how often these moments will ever happen to you again. I'm serious. Jesus says, the wind, the Holy Spirit, blows where he wishes. And whenever he shows up, and he helps you to understand what the real message of Christmas is really all about, and the gift that he has to offer of rest to your spiritual souls... When that happens, don't walk away and don't take it lightly because you never know when that offer is going to be no longer placed before you. Salvation and understanding everybody is a gift. And for those of you whose hearts are bursting right now, I would encourage you to take this moment very seriously to pray about it and to fully receive Jesus Christ, the only Messiah loves you just like you are no matter what, and to receive that gift of rest, and to consider praying with our prayer team on that wall after all of this is over. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Absolutely amazing. Even your genealogy, God, is just full and vibrant with this message of mercy and grace and love and rest. Lord, I just specifically want to pray for those right now whose hearts are bursting because they're thinking for the first time, oh my goodness, I understand this. And God, I want to pray that that seed that you want to place in their life of salvation and of spiritual rest, of approval and of acceptance would fully take root and would bear a tremendous amount of fruit right here at the beginning of this Advent season, God. Holy Spirit, come and just water, water that seed. In amazing ways. In Christ's holy name, amen. All right. God bless you. Thanks so much for coming, being here the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, if you need prayer, we're over here. Or if you're a guest, Grace in 5 is right over there. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.